Plants capture CO2. What if we could help industrial plants capture it too? Think how we could help lower emissions. It's one way ExxonMobil is helping industrial plants be more like plants. Here's our timeline this afternoon. The Bills have hired Phoebe Schechter to a season-long coaching internship. She was a training camp intern in Buffalo for the past two summers. And at 11 a.m. Eastern, Elvis has left the building. Five-time Pro Bowler Elvis Dumerville tweets he is retiring from the league after 12 seasons playing with the Broncos, Ravens, and 49ers. And so it begins one weekend counting until we open a new NFL season. Next Thursday night, the Falcons travel to face the reigning Super Bowl champions in Philadelphia. Happy to have you with us at the one-week mark. I'm Wendy Nix here with Jeff Saturday, Josina Anderson, and Bill Polian. The day after the Packers announced a new monster deal for Aaron Rodgers, the same cannot be said, at least not yet, for Aaron Donald. Donald continues to hold out. However, there is heavy speculation that could soon come to an end. The Rams hope the two sides can agree to a deal that would make the reigning NFL Defensive Player of the Year among the top-paid players in the league. The Rams will play their final preseason game tonight in New Orleans, and then they will open up the season September 10th against the Oakland Raiders. That's on Monday Night Football. The question right now, though, is getting this deal across the finish line. Bill, how do you do that? Well, number one, you continue to negotiate. And with the team out of town, this is a perfect opportunity for the negotiators to sit down and, and, and work on this. Usually this is about structure and the details in the contract, generally speaking. If you have agreement on the broad number and the parameters of how that number is going to be uh, divided up, guarantees, etc., then the structure of the contract normally goes the, the team's way, but there are things to negotiate. And so it'll take a little time. And these are not the principal negotiators that are usually doing it. It's usually secondary people. And, and they want to uh, flex their muscles a little bit, so it can take a little bit of time. <laughs> they want to show who they are, right, Bill? Exactly so right. So they need to be the principal earn, negotiator earn next time. perhaps. So they're delaying Donald's money is what you're saying. Yeah, that's oh, okay. exactly okay. right. <laughs> but here's the thing. Yeah. The reason all these deals are getting done is because in the, N- in the NFL, as Jeff well knows, no deal gets de- done against the, unless there's a deadline. That's right. And secondly, the deadline is a week from today when every team has to be under the salary cap. So if you're going to do a big deal, you got to do it now and factor in all the other moves you have to make to get under the salary cap. That's why the Rams created $7 million worth of room this morning in order to lay the groundwork for the Donald deal. And nobody wants to see this linger into the start of the regular season. Obviously, this is the second straight year that we've seen Aaron Donald hold out in the preseason. And with all these deals getting done, Jeff, we know these numbers are going to be big. Yeah. And at this point, I would think the two sides just want to sign, seal, and deliver this thing. There's no doubt. And listen, the same thing I said yesterday, um, you know, when you're talking about Aaron Rodgers' contract. He's worth every penny. I mean, get the deal done, man. This guy, he is the best defensive player in the league. I mean, he makes play after play at a position where it's very difficult to be the it guy, and he is still the it guy. The three technique, he can line up, head up on the center. He can do so many different things. 
his valuable I mean, his value is, is is understated every time. I mean, how good a football player he is. You pay him, get him back in there, let him get some cuts at, at practice because you know he haven't practicing. We know he trains like an animal, but you'd like to see him get in practice, get kind of back in the groove of football, so he hits the ground running come season time. And I think the question too for these players who have really stood their ground in terms of being willing to wait, hold out, show the team at least that they're in the posture of doing that, is asking yourself, am I trying to be paid at the top of my position or am I trying to be paid like a top five, top ten player? And I do think the margin on that is slightly different. And you see Khalil Mack, Earl Thomas's, Aaron Donald, believing in themselves and being willing to, to, to do that as well. And then obviously making the necessary room with Andrew Woodworth, as you mentioned, and Robert Woods to help massage that. But I got a call two days ago from the story saying, Josina, you know, the bare bones, the skeleton of this is done. It's just a, the little details don't say I never gave you a scoop. I'm like, okay, what, uh, you know, what are the final numbers? Thank you. <laughs> the devil in the details. We know that. But here's the thing. While it looks like Donald's deal will soon be done, the outlook not nearly as optimistic for Khalil Mack and the Oakland Raiders. As we get closer and closer, one week away now to opening day, the Raiders have still not made a lot of progress with their star defensive end, Khalil Mack. And at this point, it looks like the holdout will continue into the regular season. Our Raiders reporter, Paul Gutierrez, has more. While Khalil Mack's holdout reached 34 days on Wednesday, there does not seem to be an end in sight. Not with the former NFL Defensive Player of the Year willing to rack up more than $2.4 million in fines by already missing three preseason games and probably Thursday's finale in Seattle. Neither Mack's agent Joel Siegel nor the Raiders have talked on or off the record about any negotiations, which have reportedly been silent since February. But Raiders GM Reggie McKenzie did ask me in March if I had an extra $100 million he could borrow to help pay Mack, who is due more than $13.8 million this season. Mackenzie was kidding, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I think. The operative phrase there. Bill, if you were structuring this deal or trying to make this happen, what would you be looking to do? Well, this is a deal that's probably going to come in around that number. Uh, And whether the Raiders are willing to pay it or not remains to be seen. This strikes me as very similar to what happened with Cornelius Bennett many, many years ago when I was the GM of the Bills. Cornelius Bennett was a first-round pick, first pick in the draft, and held out for a long, long period of time up to Halloween. And finally, the Colts, uh, ironically enough, were in a position where they could get a star running back, Eric Dickerson, in a trade. And so they put Cornelius Bennett out on the market. And there was a lot of dickering and a lot of bargaining going on. It it ended up being a three-way trade with the Rams involved. But the Colts got Eric Dickerson plus uh, two ones and a two. Uh, from the, the Bills gave up two ones and a two plus a running back uh, that went to the Rams uh, in order to get the rights to Cornelius Bennett. We signed him to, in those days, a $1 million contract. Which was the highest paid. It's 1987. Yeah, yeah. Highest paid linebacker in the league by far. And... Uh, and, of course, it was great for us. Actually, all three teams benefited by the trade, the Rams the least. Uh, but bottom line is this, this smells a little like that, where they're at an impasse as we approach the regular season. That's a little worrisome. Now, he does not have the leverage that Cornelius had in those days because the rookie wage scale is different and he has a contract that he's bound by. Um, but it, but it smells like that, and there's already been some talk of, of, of trades taking place. 
Wow. Well, to be continued again with one week to go, JoJo. And I just wanted to say, I think to me what's crucial in this situation is, you know, KYP. Know your personnel. Know your player. And the personality of Khalil, for anybody that knows him or that talks to him, should have seen this coming from a mile away. I mean, there's players who talk, but they're players who are really willing to hold their position. And from everything I've heard, Khalil has always been like that. And literally before I came on the show, I got off the phone with the source who's familiar with the situation. What's the latest? You know, and it's always, you know, the same thing. But the last thing the person just said to me just before I came on the set was, you know, I don't think that the owner wants to overpay. Getting ready to have Aaron Donald's deal done. Definitely not trying to do that with, with that, you know, threshold getting ready to come out. And it's like, well, why won't, won't John Gruden even make certain overtures? And it's like, well, what is John Gruden going to say? You know, you don't want to undermine ownership. If it's not going to get done, it's not going to get done. But, you know, I, and I guess I could ask you this as a player, like how important would it be to just keep, you know, the seat warm and making it feel like, you know, at least you care, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Listen, we talked about it yesterday, the, the importance of the general manager in massive contracts and the head coach. It is priceless. I mean, they need to sit down and have the conversation. Bill did it with me when it was my contract time. <laughs> we came in and had the conversation. Hey, Jeff, I can't pay you as the number one center in the league. You may have earned that, but if we want to keep Peyton, Reggie, Marvin, Dallas Carr, we want to keep these guys together, you'll have to take – now, you can go be the number one paid center, but you're going to be on a bad football team. or You're not going to be on the same type of team. But having those conversations, it's not a want and not a desire. It's, hey, how we put all these things together. The problem with the Raiders is that they, they haven't put that olive branch out. You haven't gotten the feel that they do want to keep Khalil Mack and at the position that he's at, he demands these dollars. I mean, you think about the league right now going to a more pass-driven league. Pass rushing ends are a premium, and he can be that guy. Linebacker, in you name it, whatever you need him to be, he has the value that can drive a defense. So there are going to be suitors in there who would give up two ones, maybe a two or two ones and a three. And you think about it, it could, it could produce even on the back end. You said it. Everything you gave up in Buffalo, it still worked with Biscuit, right? We when got he's it been, back in Spain. You still got it back. And that, that, was the that's the missing link. Absolutely. And so if you're a team like that, I don't understand why the Raiders haven't made that to your point. Haven't made him feel like you're wanted. We just have to figure it all out. I, I, I still don't because understand. Because it's like, where is this going? Where is this going? Like, yeah, what's the he's end not, game? Here's the thing. He's not breaking. So where is this going? And, and even if he does come in to make sure that he doesn't lose, you know, cruising, whatever it is, that you don't want to have a disgruntled player who's giving you minimum effort because he's he's pissed. Like, so where right. and putting on the tag of pissed again, pissed again, like right. that's not giving you return. So I don't understand the end game to this strategy. It, right it, well, and it does not appear like there's been any communication. Well, really, to, which to I their think point, is that, I mean, if you really want to play hardball, it's not a good idea with a player of this nature. But if you, if you really want to play a hardball, you can say, hey, he's got to come in. Otherwise, he's going to lose the accrued season. And he will not be a free agent next year. Right. right. So he'll come in and he'll play seven, eight, nine games. And, uh, or and his hamstring will start hurting. Or his right. hamstring will hurt. <laughs> yeah. And it's bye-bye at the end of the season anyway. Right. And it doesn't cost us a huge amount of money for a player that we don't think perhaps is a difference maker. If that's the case... They ought to be honest with him, too. Absolutely. Right. You know, don't create a situation where everybody's in limbo. It's and, just and it's jo- a more efficient way to do it. Yeah. yeah. And, and Josina brought up a good point. And, and, Bill, you and I talked about this. It, 
at some point, you got to work together. Like, negotiations yeah. are what they are, right? People, they get their feelings hurt when you look at somebody and say, hey, I don't think you're as valuable as you think, all those things in this negotiation. They're still, they're still, but you have to ultimately work together. He's going to have to go work for Gruden. He's going to have, you know, Gruden's going to have to work with him. McKenzie, they're going to have to have these conversations. So if there is a long-term deal, how much, how much or, or how far are you pushing this player away from being a team guy with this behavior? Because there is, there is give and take on both sides. I mean, everybody has to give in any negotiation. That's the issue. You make a great point. And Bill and I talked about it. As mad as you want to get, you have to make it. It's not personal. This is business. It's our business and your business. We can ultimately come together. But you better make sure he feels loved and concerned and from the personal side of being a teammate. Because yes. ultimately, that's the guy in your locker room trying to get everybody else together, play good defense. You got to have it. And he's been in your backyard. He left Buffalo, came to the Bay Area, got people on Twitter saying they're spotting him, working out in the gym like he's been there. Yeah. Man, take the boy to Jimmy John's, Mark Davis, call him on the cell phone, <laughs> get him a sub. Like, get it done. All right, get it done. Well, I tell you who did get it done, and that's the Green Bay Packers. They signed Darren Rodgers to an extension, and not just any extension. How about this? A record-breaking four-year, $134 million extension could be worth up to $180 in total dollars, over $100 million guaranteed. Rodgers will be 40 years old when the deal expires after the 2023 season. Rodgers had this to say via Instagram. It's been an amazing ride the last 13 years. Excited to start year 14 knowing that my future is here in Green Bay for our 100th season. I've grown up in this place and grown older and a little wiser along the way. He thanked the fans, the organization, and his teammates. Looking forward to making some more memorable moments this year and for years to come. He did have this to say, though, via a conference call this afternoon. He couldn't say for sure, this is from Rob Demosky on Twitter, that his tenure won't end in a similar way that Brett Favre's did, saying, I don't think this guarantees anything other than maybe the first three years of the deal. To get to the end of the contract <laughs> would take sustained, consistent play. I definitely am not arrogant to say that it would never happen to me. It happened to Favre. It could happen to anybody. And he's right, really. Maybe the craziest part of the Rodgers deal, he will make $80 million by March 2019. We've talked about the cash flow. That's $80 million in the next seven months. Enough money uh, to start the starting lineup under the 2018 cap. An offense you can afford. Guys like Patrick Mahomes, David Johnson, Antonio Brown, Zach Martin, and more. <laughs> and you'd have enough left to have a pretty good defense. That would also include Vic Beasley, Alec Ogletree, Thomas Davis, Marcus Peters, and Reggie Nelson. Wow. Uh, Rodgers did admit they explored non-traditional contract approaches in terms of structure and ties to to future salary caps that could change future deals, but said he doesn't think the NFL is really quite ready for those type of deals. Uh, That was politely putting it. Politely politely is the word there. How how will this deal hold up, Bill? Well, I mean, he's correct. It'll hold up as long as he plays well. And in in essence, if you want to be really uh, bloodless about it, it's a three-year deal. And they'll revisit it at the end of three with no no strings attached other than the fact that he's under contract. Um, The issue here is that he got all of this cash flow, but that's not the cap number. We, We gave that example there. But that's not the cap number. The cap number favors the Packers going forward. And so they're able to continue to build around them, which is always what a, what a negotiation should be. Uh, many people ask, 
can you pay a quarterback this amount of money and still be a contending team? The answer is yes. We, we won uh, I lived 12 it. games for however long we did a year. Some quarterback. I lived, it, I lived it carrying that dude on my back. I and Bill, did. Bill just kept giving him the money. You know, shame on you, Bill Foley. I don't know what you were but thinking. But you know what, you real, I just wanted to say, it's just interesting how the quarterback market has moved from when he did an extension in 2013. I think they were averaging $22 million a year. And now you've seen this go all the way to him doing 33. And it would just be interesting if, and I know not every position has the same impact as the quarterback, but if there could even be a margin as close for your tackle, your wide receivers, or your pass rushers in terms of that uh, margin of increase in terms of that amount of time at, you know, on the average and annually. Well, the problem with that is that, and unlike basketball and baseball where mm-hmm. the, oh, the contracts are fully guaranteed, yeah. that's one difference. But the biggest difference is in our sport is that the longevity at the other positions compared to quarterback right. and elite wide receivers, of which there are a handful, uh, is, is not there. But so, they're still redoing the deals after the third year. So I'm just like, why, why should that, like, because we just, you were just saying, right? Yeah. He's going to get an opportunity. They're going to revisit it. It's almost like it's guaranteed that they're going to revisit after that's three. That's right. That, but, but that's yeah. the case here is yeah. that the player declines quickly, and you don't want to put that, those huge amount of money, that huge amount of money into a player who's really on the downside of his career. That's why uh, Gene Upshaw fought so hard for four years of free agency because mm-hmm. that's kind of right in the middle. Mm-hmm. If you got the five, forget about it. Management's not investing in anything after five. <laughs> right. So, And now we've got basically the, the, the rest of the league, other than quarterbacks, six years is the career. So it's hard to invest big money in that. Geico presents Monster Counseling. Dracula, tell me how you're feeling. No one understands how lonely it is. No one will even let me into their house. I knock and I knock, but they ignore me. Uh Uh-huh. What else? I look in the mirror and (laughs) I don't even see myself anymore. If you don't see yourself clearly, can you really expect others to? I'm having a breakthrough. It's not easy to be a vampire. But with GEICO, it's super easy to switch and save hundreds on your car insurance. Aaron Rodgers, not the only quarterback in the news yesterday. The Jets sent Teddy Bridgewater and a sixth-round pick to the Saints in exchange for a third-round pick. He should back up Drew Brees. The move reinforces the widespread belief that rookie Sam Darnold will be the New York Jets' week one starter. Uh, JoJo, let's start with you on the Bridgewater trade. Why now and how did this happen? <laughs> well, first, I, I talked to a source yesterday. said they were on the bus. It was about 225. They seen Teddy get off and and actually figure to himself that, you know, that was a trade, you know, because either that or something had happened in the family and didn't think it was the latter. But, um, yeah, obviously a lot of discussions, people were predicting this potentially could happen. I asked uh, another source last night, do you all think that you could potentially regret this decision? And they said, listen, if Sam Donald or Josh McCown gets hurt, certainly this <laughs> did not put us in the greatest spot. But they also emphasized two things. One, how impressed they were with Teddy Bridgewater. He said he literally came in there and he said Teddy would tell you not super confident about the health of his you know, knee and mentally that he was strong enough and how much the Jets trainers worked on him, literally doing 40 hours a week on that rehab and how much mm. he had improved. And for him to also statistically be better than Sam Darnold in the preseason playing behind a second and a third offensive line. So I heard a lot of genuine, because it's all off the record, because you could tell me real what you think, a lot of genuine, genuine praise for Teddy Bridgewater. But why they stuck with Sam Darnold? Because I heard they said, listen, 
I truly believe that Sam Darnold is is ready. Uh, this person said they've been around quarterbacks who've been in the league for six, seven, eight years and have not been mentally tougher than what they're seeing from Sam Darnold. And they also said if we lose, it will not be because of Sam Darnold. Mm. So high praise for both of them saying we like the both of them. But obviously, if it's a tie or one slightly above, then we're still going with Sam. Well, and barring anything unexpected, Jeff, and things can happen. But at this point, the door wide open for Sam Darnold to walk in and be the team starter. Yeah, and I love this for the Jets. I mean, listen, you're rolling with who who you think is going to be the franchise of your uh, I mean the quarterback for your franchise. And if you think about uh, if you think about what Darnold's able to do, he's picked up where Todd Bowles would want him. And Josina mentioned being mentally tough. Listen, that's all you're looking for is when you get blitzed or he's showing stuff in practice and Todd Bowles may mention this about, hey, we're blitzing him, we're showing him things that are unexpected for a rookie. He may make a mistake, but he never makes the same mistake twice. That's important. And I think when you're sitting back in as an organization, you say, hey, listen, can he take the beating mentally and physically for this season? And that's really what he's going to get, right? He's going to be baptized by fire. So it's not always going to be pretty, but is that going to melt him? Because if it does, you don't want to risk it. I do not think it's going to be for this young man. I think he's going to go through, similar to Peyton Manning, his first year is going to look kind of ugly, but the next year they'll be better for it. Because listen, you can't can't get those reps on the sideline. That's the bottom line. So if he can handle it mentally and it doesn't melt him for the future, this kid's got a he's got a bright one. You lived through that experiment with Peyton Manning, and it wasn't pretty, at least not that initial season, but it was also okay. Do you see some of the same things here? Ben? Yeah. Uh, the question is, we've all said, is he mentally tough enough to handle the ups and downs? And there'll be more downs than ups. It's in a very tough market in New York. Uh, But Peyton was able to weather that storm. He played four years of college football now. Sam's only played two. Mm -hmm. But the the mental makeup is there. That's the key. If you're convinced that he can weather the storm, then sit him in there, put him in there, and let him get these reps. They're invaluable. Well, by all accounts, that's where we're headed, JoJo. Yeah, and and I just wanted to say, you know, Teddy certainly made use of the preseason. I know we're going to talk about this later. Yes, he did. (laughs) So, you know, augment his value and remind people that he can still play in the league. So good for him. In Teddy's case, he gets a a chance to go to New Orleans and rehab further and not have the monkey on his back of having to play right away. Right. He gets to test that knee and and really get 100% healed before he has to go play. Uh, hopefully down there. And they get a quarterback they can trust in a pennant race, which they will be in. Which we all expect they will be in. You can see Sam Darnold perhaps make his NFL debut. Our week one Monday night football doubleheader kicks off September 10th. The Lions will host the Jets. That's at 7-10. On the West Coast, the nightcap, 10-15. Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, and the Rams head out to face John Gruden's Raiders. Both games simulcast on ESPN2 in Spanish, also available on the ESPN app. Final week of the preseason. There's still some question marks. There always are. Let's look at our final storylines as we head into the season. And, Bill, I'll start with you. Well, I think you're, you know, you're looking at what the quarterback situation is for the Bills, but I think it's almost been decided because with their offensive line situation, uh, the rookie, Allen, got a concussion last week. You can't risk him with that offensive line. Peterman, they have high hopes for. They think he's done awfully well, and McCarron's hurt, so it looks like it's Peterman's job almost by default. Just one of those things in this case, Jeff Baker Mayfield. In this case, we'll start in the final preseason game, which we don't always see. No, I like it, though. I mean, you listen, you, you want to get him as many reps as you can get him. Again, I don't think the final decision has been made. You hear Hugh Jackson keep saying Tyrod Taylor is the guy, so that's what you're believing. 
playing the fourth game kind of tells you that's going to be the way it goes. But this is a great maturation process for Baker Mayfield. Take your reps, get after it, go lead the team. I think for me, that's the most important is show what type of leadership you have for each and every one of those guys who may not end up making the team uh, by the end of this week. JoJo? Well, for the Ravens, it's going to be about who is going to end up backing up Joe Flacco. Lamar Jackson had his best preseason game against the Dolphins, completing 70% of his passes, 7 for 10, having a touchdown uh, for 98 yards uh, total as well. Uh, RG3 completing 66%. But I think the good thing for Lamar Jackson is that he was able to show he was able to rebound from some adversity, completing 42% before that, and then come back and have a good game. So that's a good sign. RG3 will have to do it against his former team. This from Damon Smacks Harrison on the importance of the preseason. Seven years ago during this preseason game, I locked myself into a roster spot. Was on the practice squad or the bubble there, but I played myself onto the team. There's jobs to be won and lost in this game. The opportunity is there and the time is now. Today, we hunt. As we say hello from the red zone. And Jeff Saturday, I see, I see you nodding your head Heck yeah. in affirmation as we talk about the importance or lack thereof of these games because uh, there are some who make the argument we don't even need them. We're seeing veterans not even get on the plane. We're seeing guys not even travel. You say no way. No, yeah. It, listen, preseason games are vital. Whether you, whether you believe it or not, if you're a football person, and Snack said it best, I I, I, I made a career of of that those preseason games. I mean, no one would have given me an opportunity or a shot without those games. And people say, oh, you can get them in scrimmages, but it's not the same thing. You you get coached during scrimmages. It's a completely different feel when you set somebody. Whether the stands are empty or full, when you walk in there and both teams are on sidelines, everybody's full dress, and you're getting out there. There is a level of intensity that gets. Ready and you have to see, do you adapt to it? Do you fold under it? What does all that look like? I think these games are, are very important. Now, I would probably go to three instead of four, in my opinion, just and get yourself another week with just your team to be able to install and kind of slow that process down. But I disagree that it's just invaluable. I mean, I mean, th- 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 there's no value to it. I think there is a lot of value to preseason games that you can't just get from scrimmages and other things. And I think it would be a disservice to these young guys like Snacks and myself who aren't high draft picks or have roster spots, you know, guaranteed. You're going in fighting for a job, and a lot of guys are going to earn them tonight. Can you make the argument, Bill, to go from four to three or four to two? Uh, Not two. Three is the minimum in my mind. First of all, you need three games to get everybody physiologically prepared to play football. This is a combative sport where Mm -hmm. you hit people. Everyone hits everyone else. you got to get your body conditioned to that. you got to recover from it. It takes time to do that. There's just no way to short-circuit that. Secondly, as Jeff said, this is the way you find football players. This is the way you develop depth on your team. This is the way you give guys a chance to show what they can do when the lights are on. The, the veterans, when they have scrimmages, the veterans take most of the work during the scrimmages, at least in the way Bill Belichick does it, which I think is the right way. And then the rookies and the young players play in the games. So you can tell in a game condition, which you can't replicate in a scrimmage, uh, whether or not they've got what it takes. It, it's, it's the idea that the, the star players are not there is, to me, fallacious. Mm. They're not there in baseball. Go to a preseason game, a spring training game. They don't call them preseason. Spring training. The reporters wax poetic about the glory and the beauty of spring training. <laughs> they do. It's Florida in March. Right. Right? <laughs> right? Hello. <laughs> You go to a game, you pay $25 for a ticket. You may not ever see Aaron Judge except in batting practice. So 
It's the same in every sport. You've got to get ready. The only sport that has a short preseason is basketball because it is a contact game, but it's not a collision game. And speaking of basketball, I was about to say, Greg Popovich is probably like, you know, hello, you guys are catching up. Because I do think last year with a lot of the injuries, I think we're seeing a little bit of that carry over in the mindset of the head coaches in terms of holding back a lot of these uh, stars for the preseason game and where it is an opportunity for the uh, lesser players to make a roster spot for themselves. I mean, we were seeing uh, the Falcons, the Raiders, the head coaches announcing two and three days before the preseason that, that Devontae Freeman, Julio Jones, these guys we're definitely not playing. So whereas I do obviously think it's an opportunity to fight, I do think we're seeing a, a trend, and at least, especially for that third preseason game, holding out the stars a little bit more so. Well, what you don't want to see, though, is, a, is an absence of opportunity to prove, you know, for some of these bubble guys, you know, well, to, to uh, take away that chance to really show what they and can it's do not only that, in a real game. Guys are going to get injured in the season. It's real, right? It's a yeah, game well. of attrition. So I don't care if you rest them in the third game, the fourth game, the second game of the preseason. At some point, guys are going to get hurt. The guy behind them is still going to have to go out and produce. It's not a game of one, right? It takes 11 guys working, you know, to, to continuously to keep being efficient to make this thing happen. Uh, if you're telling me Bill would have been would have trusted me if I had zero preseason snaps and I'm in front of Peyton Manning, <laughs> I can tell you right call. now, he went and found some other lineman who may have been average. But without putting that time in to really see what it is, you've got to give guys an opportunity to fail or succeed in game environments. This is not a star issue. This is a development of football team issue. And when you do, if you do, you do a disservice if you let this thing go. And by the way, it's carefully scripted. It is not catch as catch can. Right. It's carefully scripted by the coaches in the front office every single week as, a, as to how many players are going to get how many snaps so you can make a definitive judgment about how they fit. But Listen, overall, Wendy, I do think it's going to be a discussion for when, once the CBA is over just in terms of uh, having less preseason games and more regular season games anyways. Well, owners definitely want that. Money yeah. in them pockets. Hey, Bill, you can tell him you would have trusted him anyway. He'll never know. You can just, you just say, yeah, I would. No, he knew it. I knew you were going to say that. Bottom. I knew you would do that. We were together for 14 years. He knows how Yeah, he knows the deal. Five-time Pro Bowler Elvis Dumerville has announced he's retiring. He led the 49ers in sacks in 2017, but the team opted not to pick up his option for this season. A two-time All-Pro selection over 12 NFL seasons with the Denver Broncos, Baltimore Ravens, and 49ers. Uh, Dumerville racked up sacks in his career, one of 32 players with 100 career sacks, reaching the milestone in his final season. He had as many as 17 sacks in a season twice, once with the Ravens, and once with the Broncos, and he is one of two players uh, to get at least a half sack against all 32 teams, along with John Abraham. And I feel like that is a trivial pursuit question waiting to happen. I love it. A sack against all 32 teams and quite the, quite the career, Jeff. Unbelievable. Listen, he, he was a lunch pail guy. And what does that mean? That means you brought your lunch pail to work because you know he was going to give you all day all that you wanted. He was just a he was a fight him all day. Um, heck of a career. Heck of a player. You just watched how he, he, he went each and every Sunday. It was all about effort for Elvis and uh, congratulations on a fantastic career. Well, he was also pivotal to uh, sort of a now infamous story Bill Pullian, the fax machine incident. It's almost comical now to talk about a fax machine, even though that wasn't that long ago. But take us through what happened and and why it went down the way it did. Well, it was bumping up against the uh, league year deadline, which is when the salary cap goes into effect. He had to sign a new deal with the uh, Broncos so the Broncos could get it into the league office 
by 4 o'clock in the afternoon, which is when business closes for the NFL. And as a result, uh, the fax machine in the Kinko's that he went to apparently did not work. (laughs) And so the document got to the Broncos too late. It got to the league office too late. And as a result, Elvis became a Baltimore Raven and not a Denver Bronco. And the bottom line is it's the Broncos' fault because that should have been done a day in advance. You never push up against the deadline and run the risk of that happening. Well, you know what, Wendy? They got uh, uh, some new features on iPhone <laughs> called AirDrop. You know, just put yeah, the phone now they do. Somebody and just I, I tell you what, now over. it's DocuSign. <laughs> you remember in college yeah. and your computer <laughs> broke the night your paper was due and your professor said, oh, well, you should yeah. have been doing it at 2 a.m. the night before it was due. And that how it works? I thought everybody did it at 2 a.m. the night before yeah, it was well, due. Yeah, well, it turns out they do. But sometimes <laughs> sometimes you go to a no Kinko's with a broken and fax machine. And that wasn't the target. Two, two, was two was early for me. <laughs> they actually do it before. There are people who do it before that. I did, but anyway, that's a whole nother story. Oh, sure story. you did. I, I did, Bill. I swear I was a dork. All right, the Browns yesterday released Michael Kendricks after he was charged by federal prosecutors with insider trading. As a result, GM John Dorsey made this statement. Prior to signing Michael, we were informed that there was a financial situation that he had been involved with in 2014. We were told Michael had fully cooperated with investigators as a victim. We're now dealing with a different set of facts, and the additional information we've gathered has led us to the decision to release Michael from our team. And there is a lot of real estate there between a victim and an active participant, which he's now admitted to, Josina. And I know you've talked to both the Browns and to Michael Kendricks. Well, I, I talked to Michael Kendricks briefly. Uh, the only thing that he said to me was just, uh, I want to say, indicating that there was just more to the story. Obviously, this is a pending legal situation. You don't want to be sensitive about that. But I did talk to a source familiar with the situation last night to try to get some background. And just kind of bumping off of that statement from John Dorsey, the general manager there, uh, they said, listen, uh, in their opinion, the organization was made aware of the situation at the time that, uh, you know, the transaction was being talked about and everything was offered to what they knew also at the time, too, because it was a pending investigation. So my question was, well, why do you say he is a victim and, and now also saying that he's going to plead guilty? And the information I got there was that, uh, you know, may have been feelings of, the player being wooed by someone who had a Harvard-type education, Goldman Sachs analyst, and, you know, putting trust in someone with that, with that type of uh, knowledge and experience. And, and, yes, at some point there's an understanding that something is amiss and not right, and thus you have the statement that he is giving uh, today. But the interesting question is, I also asked both sides, you know, particularly the source here, do you feel like there was a rush to, you know, go ahead and release him? And obviously you have the commissioner's exempt list here, but it's a somewhat of an anomaly of a situation in, in being rare, someone who's going to, you know, plead, you know, to a felony. And what is the patience there to wait for a case like this to be adjudicated at the same time? Although the flip side, some people also pointing out, and you can, you know, weigh on this, you know, too, if there's hypocrisy there, you know, with the owner and, and reports about, you know, businesses being involved in consumer fraud and, and things like that. So, you know, how a, a player is treated versus, you know, an owner. I'm not saying it's apples to apples. I'm just saying that this is this came up in the discussion last night. Well, it is an apple to apples because mm-hmm. if, in fact, he pleads, he's guilty. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that runs afoul, A, of the club rules 
B of the personal conduct policy. Uh, that's a serious felony. So he's in that kind of a boat. The, the commissioner's exemplist is not the place for him under those circumstances. And secondly, from a pure, purely practical standpoint, here's a young guy who's been a really good player. I have a lot of respect for him as a player who's facing serious jail time and who has a family. Now, how could he possibly concentrate on doing his job as a football player when he's facing and having to deal with and meet with potentially uh, uh, prosecutors and his own lawyers to determine what his sentence is going to be? That's an untenable situation. So uh, I think that Browns did all they could do, and, and you wish him the best going forward. But the fact that the, he's pleading guilty, it, it, he is guilty. There's and no I, question. And I think just to add to that, the hope with that being that, you know, perhaps a, a judge will look at the totality of the case, realize, you know, what is the history before that? What is the history after that? His age, the fact that you are, you know, complying with authorities, giving this type of, um, you know, presumed uh, plea as well or, uh, you know, to the charges. And, and hopefully that will mitigate, you know, the situation for him. I'm saying that's what the hope is for them. Kendricks has uh, issued a statement, too, yesterday saying he apologized that he that he had known there was some wrongdoing and was sorry for the fallout. Welcome back to NFL Live. Now just seven days from the season opener, the Falcons face the defending champion Eagles. So we thought it was a perfect time to look into the season's burning questions, or as we call them, Seven wonders of the NFL season, if you will. Mystery music. Mystery music, complete. Uh, First up at number seven, our mystery. Can Deshaun Watson survive a full NFL season? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think he can. Uh, uh, He will have to show us if he did everything that he was supposed to do with rehabbing that ACL. Obviously, you also don't want to have compensation issues. You, there are a lot of players who have come back really well from this. Wes Welker, Adrian Peterson, obviously not the same position. So we will get a good idea. But he is made as sturdy as they come. His college coach once called him the possible Michael Jordan uh, of uh, his position to come into the league. So we can see it now. I know. We made fun of Dabo at that point. He might have just been right. How about <laughs> Jimmy G? The question, will he get off to a fast start, sort of continue that momentum, Bill? He's undefeated, this one. Will we see it continue? I think we will at the start of the season, and here's why. Four of the five teams they opened with did not play them last year. So they have not seen Jimmy G up close and personal. They'll look at him on preseason film. They'll look at him on last year's film. But as you know, there's nothing quite like playing a guy in person so you recognize how quick he is, how fast he is, how strong his arm is. You can't necessarily see that on film. So he's going to be new to the people that play him, and I think he'll continue on the roll. Uh, that first time around, if you will, first time through the rotation, we're looking at the seven wonders of the NFL world. <laughs> Pressing questions number five. Will the Cowboys' offensive line hold up, Jeff, Saturday? It's a huge question. Obviously, Travis Frederick, he's out indefinitely to see uh, if he'll make it back at all this season. They're hoping he will, keeping him on the 53-man roster. Uh, but that's a huge loss. Anytime you lose your center, that's a big deal. Tyron Smith had back issues. He missed games last year, which makes it tough. You never know when a back is going to go, especially for your left tackle. Now you're talking about the blind side of Dak Prescott. 
And then finally, Zach Martin. I know it's a little tweak this this season, but he's already been banged up. You don't want to start the season with three of your best already having issues. Uh, so will the Cowboys' O-line hold up? It's going to be a huge question. Listen, this, this offensive line, is, as good as they are up front for their offense, they're vital for the defense because they keep them off the field, which keeps that defense fresh. And the way that Rod, Rod Marinelli wants to play that defense, when these guys start going down, it puts a lot of pressure on their entire football team, not just offensively. All right, I refuse to ask a Colt question and not direct it at one Bill Polian. Will Andrew <laughs> Luck return to form, our Hall of Famer? I think he will return to his physical form. He'll be every bit as good physically as he was before the injury. Will his numbers be as good? No, because the cupboard is bare. There are no Marvin Harrisons there. There are no uh, Ken Dilgers there. There are no Edger and Jameses there. There's no nothing there. It's a rebuild. So he's not going to have the numbers uh, except for T.Y. Hilton that, that he's had in the past. But he will be, thank goodness, back physically. And it's a team game. Jeff Saturday pointed that out. It's not uh, NFL Q, as we say. JoJo, what happens to Earl Thomas? Well, Earl Thomas is looking over his shoulder. Doesn't see the original members of the LOB there. Some members of the defensive line of that great Seattle Seahawks defense not there. Right now getting paid $10 million as an average per year. Thinks he should be making more as a safety. So right now he is sitting out, not reporting to training camp. There's been talks about whether he'll be traded to Dallas and teams like that. You talk to people on the Cowboys side, they say he has to report first. <laughs> before something like that can even happen. So what is it right now? We're at a stalemate with uh, no signs of progress ahead so far. Everybody entrenched in their corners. The most pressing question, perhaps, Bill Pullian, how in the world will the new helmet rule play out? Well, thanks to the competition committee, they've smoothed it out. They had a conference call last week, and they did away with uh, a penalty for inadvertent uh, use of the helmet. Uh, it smoothed out in the last preseason, in the third preseason weekend. I believe we only had two calls. Uh, that's the way it'll go the rest of the year. If they miss something on the field, they can find it in the office on Monday. That's the way they're going to look at it. The officials are going to have to be sure they saw the entire play before they threw the flag, which equals less flags. A work in progress. Jeff Saturday, the reigning world champs. Uh, when will Carson Wentz return, and how does this QB situation shake out? Yeah, obviously, this is the biggest question, right? Is he going to come back week one? Is it even worth it to push him in week one? We're talking about the amount of, amount of time that you miss for that ACL. We know he's gone through 11-on-11 11 11 drill work, but he hasn't been in the games. What does that look like? Do you want him to come back early in the season, or would you rather push it off? I, I circle, look, even look at, think about week three against the Colts. It might be a good time, but you, you have no idea. You play it on Thursday night. Is it worth it? You get 10 days between it, which is an eternity in NFL season, 10 days of, of rehab. But again, this is the French, this is the quarterback of your franchise in the future. Is it worth pushing? Even if you go 0-2 in those games because Nick Foles isn't playing well, it's still not worth the risk. You got to get better as the season continues. Don't worry about what everybody thinks about the beginning of the season. Push on until Wentz is completely healthy. Don't put him in. 100%. And we've got a week to go because they will open the season next Thursday yep. night. Before the season kicks off, we have a panel of experts. They make their picks for all the big NFL awards. In what was an extremely close vote, Aaron Rodgers edges out Tom Brady by three points or three votes for MVP. And you know what? It was just last year that it could have been Carson Wentz before he got injured. We didn't see that coming, so there's always surprises, Jeff. Who's an under-the-radar candidate, not Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, 
for MVP? Well, I'm taking out the QB. I call this really this MVP a QB award. MVP, or QB. May, yeah, maybe even a running back award. We're going to go to Aaron Donald, though. He's my under the radar. Listen, this guy dominates football games. And I understand he plays a position that most people don't pay attention to, but he can rush the pass from inside. He can shut down your run game. Every guard-center-guard combination that faces him is afraid. And if they tell you they're not, they're lying to you. Because you know in one play, they can end your franchise quarterback season. That is a big deal from the interior. I would say he's my under-the-radar kid. If we get true voting and not oh, here just we go. On the quarterbacks, which oh, wow. everybody, including ESPN, loves to do, wow. minus me. The hardest <laughs> guy to find in football is a big person inside who can rush. Preach right. it, Bill. Fair Preach enough. it. Hall of Famer. We know. No rush LT, back. the last defensive player to win the MVP award, by the way. He was he was pretty good. Hey, fellow yeah. Tar Heel. Yes, he, fellow, fellow Tar Heel for a defensive <laughs> player of the year. Uh, the aforementioned Aaron Donald uh, edged out Joey Bosa uh, by just a hair. Now, you can obviously make a strong argument for either of these two players. We're not talking MVP. In this case, defensive player of the year. JoJo, uh, who can contend? Who else can contend for this award? Under the radar. Under the radar, maybe let's go to Cleveland for your boy Miles Garrett. Ooh, Have I like you all it. thought about him? If you, if you looked at how he performed in that last preseason game, he is really giving you a glimpse of the potential that he has coming off that edge. The Browns defense, and I know it's preseason against vanilla offenses or what have you, but they were playing pretty savage. This is the guy that had seven sacks last year. It would have been nice to have Mr. Chubb on the other side yes. and in the draft, too, to help him out there. But uh, I, I definitely think that he has the potential to make some big noise at his position for that uh, particular award this year. What have you seen from Garrett so far? I've seen a lot. He has to stay healthy. Yeah, If he, he does. stays healthy, yeah. he'll have a great season. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't, it's if he's had too many injuries thus far. Little injuries. Yeah. Little, little tweaks. Naggers. Right, right. Yes. All right. Because you have to say, he's not, like, he's not missing. You know, it's just I, it's, I, it's little things that hamper you, hamper your game. Y'all are having a silent conversation. I'm just going to let him keep going. Listen, <laughs> in what can be considered anything but shocking, uh, this is not under the radar, not okay. by any margin. Saquon Barkley, the runaway favorite for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Bill, you can't choose him. Who you got? I got another running back, mm. Sony Michelle of the uh, New I England like Patriots. It. This is an award that's going to go to a quarterback or running back. Always has, always will. Uh, and Sony Michelle, while hit with a nagger in, in uh, training camp, hamstring, if he can get healthy and be ready, this is an offense that will feature him because he can make people miss. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's a decent enough blocker. He can do some damage with, in, in, in this offense. So he'll be, I think, when it's all said and done, in consideration. Well, certainly got a quarterback that knows how to get in the football, too, yes. and put him Indeed. in position to succeed. So that never hurts at all. Uh, we'll stay in New England for Coach of the Year honors. Our panel believes that distinction will belong to future Hall of Famer Bill Belichick at the end of the season. Again, though, Doug Peterson, not exactly the heavy favorite heading into last year. So you just don't know how these things will play out. Jeff, an under-the-radar Coach of the Year candidate. I'm going to go Sean Payton here. Listen, I think I think the Saints are structured 
to win now. They will have a real opportunity uh, to win it all. And obviously with what Sean Payton and Drew Brees have done for years, I think he is the best play caller in football. If you see the what he does and the way he establishes his offense, it seems like guys are just plug and play. They got a lot, they got a lot of, of versatility on the outside for Drew Brees. We've seen them be able to run the football. I know Ingram's out for a little bit. They can run the ball uh, with Kamara. So there's so many options and availabilities for Sean Payton and calling the offense. But as a whole, I think Sean Payton is, is under the radar but has a real shot at it. Under the, he's about as under the radar as Tom Brady is that quarterback, dude. <laughs> I knew that. Let you know that. Keep an eye on Matt Patricia in Detroit. Oh, they have oh, I talent like it. there. Under that was the a 9-7 and seven team last year. All they need is a running game. They've got it now with the two big bangers they brought in in the offseason. This is a team that could go or places. Or Pat Shermer. I like that. But Pat I like Shermer's that. Pat Shermer's, a, Pat Shermer's a good name as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. he's off to a good start. Getting that Odell Beckham situation squared away, getting this team on an even field. If Saquon Barkley is rookie Saquon of the year, Barkley. Pat Shermer may well be coach of the year. Man, it's getting me ready for football, Eli no? Manning got to be excited. Eli Manning. excited. They just they put everything around Hand it off, baby. Yeah, man. <laughs> Why not? <laughs>